Tim, would you characterize your offertory as jazz? Yeah, yeah. You just heard jazz, people. <laughs> Sorry, had to bring that up. Uh, Presbyterians, we don't like jazz. <clears throat> uh, I heard somewhere that the roots of jazz are, it, it comes out of gospel joy. So it was, uh, it was great to have it. Sorry for the joking around. It was good. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're looking at Matthew 14 this morning, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> uh, you could turn uh, there in your Bible or the text is printed in the next page of the bulletin. Uh, John the Baptist is, the, is sort of the subject of this passage. Um, he's a character, anyway. He's, uh, he's an important figure in the Gospels. Uh, 400 years before John and his cousin Jesus uh, were born, the prophet Malachi had foretold that God would send his messenger to prepare the way before him, and also to send Elijah before the great and awesome day of Yahweh. So um, in Matthew 11, which we've already uh, looked at uh, in our tour through Matthew's gospel, Jesus identified John as this one that Malachi was prophesying about. uh, uh, He's this Elijah, one who fulfills this prophecy. So John uh, wasn't some kind of reincarnation. That's not how we're supposed to understand uh, this. He's not a reincarnation of Elijah. But he was like Elijah. His ministry was similar in in, uh, significant ways that uh, serve as a precursor to Jesus in his ministry. That's what was foretold about him. So, uh, So Elijah's ministry, he had a successor who surpassed him in every way. His ministry, uh, Elisha's ministry was like Elijah's in many ways, but greater, right? And so in the same way, John's ministry would be surpassed by Jesus, who would have a similar ministry, but far greater. Uh, John didn't just tell people about Jesus. He didn't just point to Jesus with his words and point out the fact, here, behold, it's the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. He did that, uh, but his whole life was like a pattern that would be seen again in Jesus' life. That's uh, that's a significant way in which he is this Elijah preparing the way for the Lord. That his life is like a pattern that Jesus' life takes up and repeats uh, more gloriously. So in so many ways, John is a forerunner to Jesus, going before Jesus to prepare the way, to prepare us uh, for what to expect for, from Jesus. His birth was miraculous, foretold by an angel. Uh, he proclaims the kingdom of heaven and a message of repentance. His ministry is... Uh, non-traditional, you could say, uh, unofficial by the the current standards. Uh, He draws people from the fringes of society, and he angers people who are in power, and eventually his goodness irritated the wicked so much that they killed him. In all of this, John was privileged beyond any who had come before to call attention to Jesus, to point to Jesus, to foreshadow Jesus in his own life and ministry and death, to share in the sufferings of Christ in this world in order to shape our expectations of what it means to be connected to this Jesus. Uh, So it's important for us to consider his life and hear his death uh, this morning. So let's look at this passage first. Let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we need you to open our ears and our eyes and our minds and our hearts to be able to receive your word with faith. So please do that work in us by your spirit that only you can do. We pray that you do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist, he's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John 
and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Well, like I uh, mentioned in the uh, email newsletter this week, uh, this is something straight out of the Game of Thrones. I'm not recommending uh, that anyone watch that series or read the books. I don't know about the books. Uh, I think even if you don't have firsthand knowledge of the story, you might be aware of how grim and graphic uh, the Game of Thrones is. Uh, The premise is there in the name. It's the Game of Thrones. It's a game of power. Right? It's all about the ruthless competition to get and keep power. People will literally do anything to do the most terrible things, things people shouldn't even speak of, to get power and to keep power. It's really disgusting. It's depressing. The way that people use each other and how people treat each other. It's a world where the wicked rule and the good guys die. And I'm not just talking about the fictional world of Game of Thrones. We're talking about the real world. It's a world where the the wicked rule and the good guys die meaningless deaths. Where people do the most terrible things to get and keep power. That's the world that's clearly portrayed in the Gospels. And particularly here in the death of John the Baptist. John was an emissary of the kingdom of heaven. He's a messenger sent to herald the coming of the true king. And the rulers of this world didn't like what they heard. It threatened their power, and so they disposed of the threat. So Herod Antipas, who we have here in this story, uh, he was the Roman-appointed ruler over two regions. Uh, He was the ruler over Galilee in the north, which is where most of Jesus' ministry has been taking place so far. And then also he's the ruler of Perea, which is east of the Jordan River, where John had been baptizing people in the wilderness. is where John's ministry had predominantly taken place. So Herod uh, was the ruler of both these regions. Herod was like the, the family name. His father was Herod the Great. Uh, and he had been king of Judea when Jesus was born. Remember, he had ordered the slaughter of all the male infants uh, in Bethlehem in an attempt to rid himself of this rival king who was born king of the Jews to try to kill Jesus. And so, um, not a great family. There's a lot of incest in the Herod's family. A lot of them use some variation of the name Herod. So it's hard to keep track of who was who. They're a brutal and vicious family. 
uh, willing not just to kill other people to get and keep power, but even to betray and kill each other, their family members, uh, to get what they wanted. I think Herod the Great killed some of his children to keep his own uh, throne. Um, so Herodias, you could tell by the name, was part of the family, right? And first, she had married her uncle or her half-uncle or step-uncle. I'm not sure how to, how to keep them all straight, uh, all the relations. But um, she, she had married Herod Philip, right? So Philip, is he's named in the Gospels. Uh, but at some point, she tired of him and left him for his brother, Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas uh, also divorced his legal wife, his first wife, to be with her. So the Herod in this passage has dumped his wife and he's stolen his brother's wife. And really, even by the world's standards, this is pretty despicable stuff. People don't do this generally. Right? Uh, and John the Baptist was not afraid to tell Herod that uh, what he was doing was, he says, lawless. It's, it's a violation of God's law. Right? So he says... Uh, it's not lawful for you to do this. And uh, maybe he's thinking of passages like in Leviticus 20, where it says very clearly, if a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. So the language Matthew uses <clears throat> gives us the impression that John didn't just say this once and maybe didn't just say this out in public, uh, but that he said it repeatedly. It says John had been saying to him, and that language is John kept, kept on telling him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Now, <clears throat> maybe you think John should have minded his own business. Uh, maybe just been sensible and kept quiet for fear of his life, obviously. Uh, but John was faithfully heralding the kingdom of heaven. He's heralding God's kingdom. It's a better kingdom than, it's, it's unlike anything in this world. So when someone preaches a call to repentance because, as he says, and as Jesus says in his preaching, uh, because the kingdom of heaven is near, so repent. Well, that's good news. As hard as it is to believe, it is good news. It's a call ultimately issued from the love of God. It's because God wants what is best for us, that he warns us to turn away from our wickedness and to return to him. It's not good for Herod to dump his wife and steal his brother's wife. It's not good for his brother. It's not good for either of the women involved. It's not good for him, for Herod himself, right? It's a miserable world where people are doing things like this, where they're willing to do anything and use anyone and betray anyone and destroy anyone to get what they want, to fulfill their lusts and to get power. That's a miserable world to live in. Herod and Herodias are living in a nightmare world of their own making because of their own willful sin because of the selfish corruption of their hearts, because they let their lusts for power and for pleasure control them. So someone who truly wants what is best for Herod will tell him that what he's doing is out of step with God's kingdom. Tell him that there's a better alternative to the Game of Thrones that you're playing. And tell him that he really needs to repent of this in order to find true life. If he wants true life with God, this has to stop. You've got to turn away from this. <clears throat> so when John invited Herod, maybe both of them, uh, Herod and Herodias, to repentance, ultimately it's a message of, of divine love. It is a message of divine love. But all they heard was a message of embarrassing condemnation 
and a threat to their power to be able to do whatever they wanted. The unrepentant don't hear the divine love in a call to repentance. So Herod had John arrested. In order to maintain his sense of being a powerful person, uh, he locked up a good person. He locked up a good man, a holy man. Right? He had no regard for John, whether John spoke what was true or good, uh, whether he had actually been sent with God's message or not. It doesn't say he gave that any regard. Herod just didn't want to hear something that made him feel bad about himself, something that might tarnish his reputation in the sight of the people. And, <clears throat> and that's the same reason why he doesn't have John killed at first. He's concerned with his reputation. Right? Uh, apparently, he had no qualms about killing John. He said he wanted to murder him. He wanted to kill him. Except that Herod was afraid of the people because they respected John. So the only thing staying Herod's hand was fear of what others would think of him. Fear is central to the Game of Thrones in this world. It's all about fear. If you can make others fear you, that's power. If you're afraid of others, you've given them power. That's weakness. But everything is really driven by fear. It drives us to pretend that we're not afraid of anything. You know, Herod doesn't want to even believe that he's afraid of anything. The powerful, like Herod, are afraid to lose their power. And all their cruelty and brutality, all their show of fearlessness, to keep their own power, it's driven by fear. So Stanley Hauerwas says in his commentary here, says that the powerful lack the power to be powerful which means that they live lives of destructive desperation. That desperation, moreover, often results in others paying the price for their insecurity. Herod is insecure. doesn't want to hear that, doesn't want to know that. Uh, Another commentator says, Like most weak men, Herod feared to be thought weak. Herod was weak. Herod was insecure. He desperately didn't want to think those things about himself or have those things thought about himself. If you're playing the game of thrones in this world... It's because you're afraid. So like I said, it must be miserable being Herod, living in such self-absorbed insecurity and fear, being driven by that, everything you do. Herodias was also afraid, but uh, she turned out to be a bit more vicious than Herod, more ruthless. She was more passionate about wanting John dead. So when this opportunity came up at Herod's birthday feast, She took advantage of Herod's lust and Herod's pride and his fear of men, his concern for his reputation. She took advantage of all that and she secured John's execution. Her daughter from her previous marriage, uh, probably, probably a girl 12 to 14 years old, did this dance for Herod and all his drunk friends. It's a terrible place for a young girl to be. It's a terrible thing for a young girl to do. She pleased Herod with this dance. And it's probably not a stretch to imagine that's being euphemistic. Uh, So it's disgusting. Beyond that, it's sad. This is sad what happens here. And this poor young girl gets caught up in the vicious politics of her mother. So when Herod publicly promises any reward for her dance that pleased him, uh, in consultation with her mother, she demands John's head on a platter. And it just gets worse and worse for Herod. He digs himself into an even deeper hole. He can't get out of it. We could get out of it very simply by listening to John's words about the kingdom of heaven and repenting from his sin and just setting John free. 
Whatever that might mean for his reputation, he could do that. He could, he could repent. Whatever it might mean for his rule, he could do it. He could repent, but he won't. He, since he won't turn away from his sin, he is trapped. It's a trap of his own making. And apart from repentance, there is no escape. So uh, he digs himself deeper in the hole. Instead of looking like a fool in front of his guests, instead of looking like a liar in front of his guests, he chooses to look like a murderer in front of his guests. That's his options. Herod kills John without a proper trial, and we call that murder. It doesn't matter that someone powerful did that. It's still murder. The only thing that had been preventing him from murdering John earlier was fear of what other people would think of him, and now that, that same fear is driving him to do the thing. He's always afraid of what other people will think of him. He's driven by fear. It's a world where the wicked rule and the good guys die unjust, meaningless deaths. Herod had no care for God's law. He wouldn't see the goodness of it. So not only did he dump his wife and steal his brother's wife, not only was he driven by fear of others in everything he did, not only was he willing to murder to protect his reputation, but he was also willing to desecrate John's body. Uh, Beheading was forbidden by Jewish law. Leaving the dead body unburied was the most profane dishonor. God's people have always believed that there's something beyond death for us. That God has given our bodies value, even our dead bodies. And that the bodies of those who are beloved of God should be buried. You see that throughout the scriptures. Uh, So John Calvin said, though the honor of burial is of no importance to the dead... Yet it is the will of the Lord that we should observe this ceremony as a token of the last resurrection. So in terms of God raising us from the dead on the last day, he can do that whatever the physical state of our bodies, whether they're lying neatly prepared in a tomb, looking like they're sleeping, or they're at the bottom of the sea, or they're disintegrated into dust and ash. But the way we care for the bodies of our dead is an opportunity for our faith. It's an opportunity to believe God, to testify to the value of life that he's given us and to the resurrection that he promises. So, uh, so it was important to John's disciples that his body be buried as a testimony to God's care for John, God's love that is stronger than death. And you can see in this, all, all these ways, these sto- this story foreshadows the larger story of Jesus. How John shapes our understanding and our expectations of the Christ. A man came preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven in the wilderness. Calling people to repentance for their own good. That man angers people who are committed to their evil ways. Who would do anything to anyone in order to get their way. That man gets arrested and murdered in a mockery of justice. and His disciples take his body and bury him. John established the pattern. He prepared the way for the Lord, and Jesus walked in it, only in greater ways. John wasn't the Christ. He says that himself. He says that in John's gospel. John wasn't the main character of his own life. In fact, he, he isn't even the main character here in this story of his death. Ultimately, he had the privilege of living a life that was about someone greater than him, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that's his whole life and all of his ministry, is a preparation for Jesus. Jesus didn't just come preaching the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is the good news in himself. Everything Jesus did in life showed forth the goodness of the God of love. And he lost the Game of Thrones in season one. He died. People in power perceived Jesus as a threat, and in their insecurity, they had him arrested and murdered and crucified. The the most unjust death of the world has ever seen, somehow in the will of God, became the justification of sinners. They killed Jesus to be rid of their enemy, but his death only served to reconcile enemies, to reconcile us together to a holy God and to each other. They thought they'd be rid of him once and for all, right? When his disciples buried him, put him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and now they'll never be rid of him. And this is foreshadowed in the superstitious fear of Herod in the first few verses. Having killed John to rid himself of the reminder of his own enmity against God, his own rebellion against the kingdom of heaven. He had killed John, and so when he heard of Jesus... It was like John's ghost was coming back to haunt him, right? It says at that time, Herod heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Superstitious fear. Maybe it suggests that deep down inside somewhere, Herod suspected that there, there really was something different about John all along, and he knew it. Somewhere in the back of his mind, probably just under the radar of his awareness, In the place where fears live, Herod was afraid that John spoke the truth. But his refusal to acknowledge that, to hear the words of the prophet and to repent, meant that now he would continue living in fear with no prospect of being set free from it forever. If your ultimate power is to rid yourself of your enemies, and that means death, but your enemy has the power of resurrection, well, you're in trouble. The rumor of John's resurrection, that that idea that he's imagining up or that he's hearing people say or whatever it is, the rumor of John's resurrection unsettled Herod. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is no mere rumor. It is the new reality that defines all reality and it causes all the powers of this world to tremble. Terrified. If you are his enemy, you cannot be rid of him. Not ever. They tried. If you have set yourself up as Jesus' enemy, as God's enemy in your sin, then you are in a nightmare world of your own making because your mortal enemy lives and he lives forever. If you've dug a hole and you've kept digging deeper and deeper through your stubborn refusal to repent, just put down the shovel. Just stop. There's only one way out of the trap that you've caught yourself in. And I know it's hard, but it's simple. You listen to the good news of the kingdom of heaven and you repent. As Hauerwas said, again, the story of John's death helps us understand the kind of world into which Jesus has come and to which he is an alternative. The alternative, the only alternative. 
The kingdom of heaven is nothing like the Game of Thrones. The true king wouldn't play that game. The true king was willing to come into this nightmare world to be despised, to be discarded, to lose the Game of Thrones in order to gain an everlasting dominion over a kingdom that shall not be destroyed to establish a throne that will last forever. His power is real. His power is the power of love. Herod takes the lives of others to make himself secure. The Lord Jesus gives himself to secure eternal life for others. Herod beheads his enemies. The Lord Jesus blesses his enemies and he prays for them. Herod cares for no one but himself. The Lord Jesus cares for all his saints. When Herod heard of Jesus in his self-absorbed insecurity, he imagined it was the man that he had murdered come back to haunt him. When Jesus heard of what Herod had done to John, he withdrew to a desolate place by himself. That's not the action of a self-absorbed, insecure, vengeful, despotic warlord. This is what you do when a loved one dies, when you're sad and when you're grieving. Which is what Jesus was doing. And it may be that Jesus, knowing that John was his forerunner, knowing that John's life was the pattern for his own life, was moved to reflect on his own death as he mourned his cousin's death. Jesus had a connection to John. Jesus identified with John. Jesus was in solidarity with John. In his sympathy and in his love, Jesus saw himself in John. He saw himself in John. Do you realize how incredible that is? The king of heaven saw himself in the man who died an unjust, meaningless death. As Psalm uh, 116 says that uh, Jennifer read in our Old Testament reading, Precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his saints. That's the good news of the kingdom of heaven. That's the whole blessing of belonging to Jesus. That's the whole blessing of being his beloved. Jesus sees himself in you. Jesus sees himself in his people. The king of of heaven and earth sees himself in you and he grants you the privilege of seeing yourself in him. Because of the solidarity the connection that he has established. The whole blessing of the Christian life comes down to the solidarity of Christ with his saints that he has established and given as a gift of his grace. Solidarity in life. Solidarity in death. Solidarity in resurrection. Solidarity in glory. The king has promised that as it goes with him, so also it goes with us. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the kingdom. The wicked rulers of this world playing uh, the Game of Thrones, they would never want to establish any such solidarity with people. They want to distance themselves from people who they perceive as beneath them, people that are weak. They want to rise above everyone else in order to satisfy their own lusts, to crush all their enemies beneath their feet and erase their enemies from the world. The true king, the Lord Jesus, has died. And he's welcomed us into a union with himself in his death. He's met us in the very lowest place in order to exalt us with himself to the very highest place. Through our union with him, he includes 
us also in his resurrection and in his eternal life. That, that resurrection terrifies those who are committed to being his enemies, but it is the greatest comfort to those who belong to him. Not just because, you know, the idea of resurrection is cool and we get to live forever, because we get to live forever with him. It's the solidarity with Jesus, solidarity with Jesus part that matters to us, right? That, that solidarity matters to him. That union matters to him. We might think that if our solidarity truly mattered to Jesus, well, then he'd spare us from all the bad parts of life in this world, right? If he really loved us, wouldn't he save, wouldn't he save John from that beheading? Wouldn't he spare us from fates like that? In Christ's love, he did not spare John from death. The love of Christ meant that John was privileged to be a pattern for the life of Christ. The love of Christ meant that Jesus saw himself in John's life and death. And John got to see himself in Jesus. The love of Christ means that John knows what it's like for Jesus to be who he is in a world like this. The love of Christ means that John knows Christ in his death, and therefore he will know Christ in his resurrection and in his glory. The love of Christ rests on us in the same ways. We can expect conflict with the wicked and the mighty in this world, just as John faced from Herod, just as the Lord Jesus himself faced We can expect to drop out of the Game of Thrones to lose that game quickly. We can be set free from a life of fear by repenting and embracing the one whose power is the power of love. We can be set free to love without fear, even as Jesus does, to serve and proclaim the kingdom of heaven without fear because the Lord of heaven and earth sees himself in us and grants that we may see ourselves in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you sent your Son into the world to bear our sins to the cross, to set us free from our guilt and our shame, to remove our enmity and reconcile us to yourself and to each other and to welcome us into your own life, a life in this world like Jesus lived, with a love like his love. We saw where that kind of life took John and then where it took Jesus himself. And we want to be with Jesus wherever he is. And we believe that this is the great blessing that you have granted to us. So we pray that you would set us free from all our fears, all our self-centered pursuits, all our self-absorbed insecurity. Set us free to live first as citizens of your heavenly kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.